Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first podcast in my new show called Inclusion Bites. In this series, I'll be interviewing a number of amazing people who are simply having a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive in. If you would like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. You'll be able to catch up with all of the shows on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Well, today, I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Dr. Linda Shaw. I first met Linda at a meeting of the Professional Speaking Association and was recently amused by her entertaining the audience in a musical comedy sketch playing the triangle in a dip jacket, no less. I asked Linda to describe her superpower. And she said her superpower is always loving change while the rest of us try to resist change. This is something Linda does to great effect. And today we're going to tackle the topic entitled, It's the Brain Stupid. So, Dr. Linda Shaw, good morning. How are you? Good morning, John. Really good, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. Really looking good forward to this. We planned this a couple of months ago and I'm really, really excited to uh, finally have the opportunity to catch up. So do you want to tell me and the listeners a bit more about yourself? So who is Dr. Linda Shaw? Yeah, I'm, uh, I've got a doctorate in neuroscience. My uh, speciality is unconscious processing of emotion, and it's morphed into um, um, other things as well, basically because I had three businesses before I went back to academia, and I've got a psychology in my background. So uh, my biggest business, I had two, 20 staff and 2,000 members of a health club. So I sort of get what it's like to manage people, to understand how to motivate them, how to, how to create decent decision-making processes, how judgments, all of those things that the cognitive brain does. So my discipline is cognitive neuroscience. So I basically am a specialist in how the brain changes behavior and behavior changes the brain. Wow. And because of that, what people don't realize is just how much control they really have. Um, they can control their behavior to a certain extent, not completely, um, but to a certain extent more than they realize if they just were aware of it and understood how to do it, how to, how to change willingly. So that's what I bang on about when I go around to companies and senior people in, in the city and such like. So it's almost like saying to yourself, before something comes out of your mouth, before a thought becomes locked in, how can I change that thought? How can I reframe that? How can I nudge it into a different orbit, maybe? Yeah, I mean, as soon as you um, create a different way of thinking on a particular topic or a particular person or a particular subject, you actually rewire the brain. You lay down new neural pathways and new connections, new synapses, new dendrites, new everything. So and then if you keep rolling that thought you will strengthen it and it will become your default thought instead of the more destructive one. So, so if we, yeah. so, you know, we are, we can do that. Um, and we do it all the time, but what people don't realize is they can do it deliberately. And by doing it deliberately, you have it, you're in more in control of your destiny, which is really cool. So I, I heard recently that most of the biases we have and are learned okay, okay we we do have some protection type biases some subliminal reptilian type biases but we do learn a lot of biases uh, over the course of our lifetime don't we well 
Biases come from heuristics. Heuristics is a method the brain uses to um, create shortcuts to lay down information because we, we are bombarded with this cacophony of stimuli all the time and the brain can't cope with it. So it relegates everything to unconscious processing, automatic processing that does not take attention as quickly as possible. So we're locking away all of this huge amounts of data. Now, if I said to you, um, if this was this A4 sheet of paper here was, a, as the, was the brain and um, part of it's conscious processing and part of it is unconscious processing, how much would you say of that sheet of paper is conscious processing? Um, I'd have to say with a, I'd have to think I'm slightly educated, I'd, have to, I'd just say that probably 80% was probably unconscious and 20% was conscious. 20% conscious is what you reckon, yeah? Well, in actual fact, it's probably that much. So that little couple dot. Of percent, couple of percent. All the rest is yeah. unconscious processing. So what we do with heuristics is we think, okay, that person has, um, has a green skin with things sticking out of his head, must be a Martian, put them in the Martian box. That person has, um, um, that, that thing has four legs, a tail and ears. It must be a dog in the dog box. The unconscious processing, it gets, it gets, so it's speed of efficiency for the brain to operate. But then we get these biases because then we're all of a sudden thinking, well, that means that all green people are Martians when it could be the Grinch. Or it okay. could be, you know, uh, that dog is actually a cat. Um, so we, we start to get it wrong. Biases are um, are not very, very helpful in terms of being accurate because we stereotype people um, immediately into, because they've got that accent, that must mean they're ABC in a box, stereotypical. Um, so um, it, it's not helpful because we get that wrong. But equally, it's helpful because it enables us to process so much information so quickly. So the heuristics are great, but the side effect of the biases and the, side, the biases are the things that we're trying to tackle so much in commerce now, which is a very difficult thing to tackle. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's a conundrum. It's, it is actually a really big problem. I heard somewhere that uh, the, the, if you like, this unconscious brain is really fast, whereas the conscious brain is quite slow and expensive in terms of brain cycles. It, it costs more to process things consciously than it does unconsciously. Is, is that a truism or is that just a... No, it, it, it's, it's fairly true. Um, we've got to be careful of these grand statements in neuroscience. The, pop, the popular press get hold of this stuff. I mean, may I give you an example of what it's like to be a neuroscientist to give you, to give you a context? Okay, so we have an idea and we've got our little idea and we think, okay, this is a really good idea. I want to research this. I wonder if anybody else has researched it and what's been said before. So our little idea becomes this great big piece of work where we're doing a massive literature review and we're reading up on it. We realize then, we're going, okay, my idea is sound. I could do that. So we break it right the way down to our hypotheses. And then we think, right, I'm going to design my experiment now. So we open it up, we design the experiment, we run the experiment, we get the results, and then we, they finally take, oh, not quite finally, they then get down to those tiny results in about half a page, and then we open it up again in our discussion, looking back at the literature review. 
So we're now, look, so we've now got our discussion, we've opened it up and we're trying to make sense of the results. And then we close it down again and down and down and down and to our conclusion, nice and neat, saying what needs to be done next. And then with a bit of luck and a fair wind, we are published in a peer review paper and it goes out there to the uh, to um, the enlightened ones, and then the popular press get hold of it, and that's all hell breaks loose because it goes wrong. So, uh, so you get these lovely neuroscientific um, uh, explanations and ideas and what is going on in the brain. Then popular press get hold of it. Then somebody says, "Oh, that's going to fit my business model. I'm going to say I can make that fit because of what I'm selling or what my products or my services." And then it goes really wrong. <laughs> So my, I'm, <laughs> I'm on a mission to stop this. It's not, I'm not going to stop it, but I will enlighten everybody I possibly can. So we have to be very careful of grand statements when it comes to neuroscience. Um, it's a very serious science, but it's an embryonic science. It's brand new in science speak. And so we're learning new stuff all the time. So I, I believe that when we get the next generation of neuroimaging equipment, we will probably unlearn and discover things, again, that we have no idea about. That's what's exciting about neuroscience. Okay, so so we've been living in a world of kind of fake news, is it, in terms of what we believe about the brain, and we've had all these, you know, you, know, you hear that Myers-Briggs is, is, is as interesting as horoscopes, and you hear that introvert, extrovert aren't the binary parallels that we thought they were before, and the, and the brain is far more complex. So... Uh, are we even now saying that men aren't from Mars and women aren't from Venus anymore? Is, is there no male brain, female brain, or is that another myth? I worry about this this, this labelling like this. Yeah. It's, it, the brain isn't that simple. We're simplifying it too much. Um, we are products of our uh, of our chemicals and our biology, but we're also products of our environmental and social upbringing. So therefore, we can't just say a male. I mean, I I know little girls or little tomboys in the playground. And I know little boys who would rather play with a pram or a pushchair or, you know, or dolls. It's how do we talk about the so-called male and female brain like that, especially when you consider how we treat our boys and girls differently? And there's been a, some really good documentaries on, on mainstream television here in the UK about this and how, you know, um, boys, we push a little bit to be more physical, the girls we're a little bit more protected with. We don't need to be, but it's the way we're programmed as parents and as teachers and carers. Um, so I think to talk about a male and female brain is really misleading. It's almost, um, I think it's quite demeaning often to women to say, well, actually the female brain is different to the male brain, therefore you can't be as effective as a man. And it's almost like it's almost like creating yeah. a second class of citizen by by using this male female brain thing. And men is strong, women are weak. Men men don't cry, women do cry. And then that's the kind of the label we're given as women that we have to perform to our stereotype. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we have this um, this idea of, of of the masculine. You know, engineers are, are men, uh, mathematicians are men. What nonsense! There's plenty of female in, in, in mathematicians and plenty of female engineers out there. But it's this. You know, and one of my kids, when they were at university, one of their friends was done an engineering course. She was the only girl in the auditorium. Uh, you know, in the lecture theatre, everyone else was a guy. And I just thought that's so sad. Yeah. 
you know, that's it. And I did some covert research in a senior school not far from here, and I was looking at year nine, so they were 14 to 15-year-olds. And um, I said, okay, let's look at the jobs of nurse, doctor, what secretary, la, la, la. And she was a nurse. He was a doctor. And I'm thinking, really? Still we're doing this? And, you know, it still goes on. It perpetuates know, know. everywhere. I, I think I remember one of the BBC TV programmes where they talked about boys and girls and they kind of identified around about the age of six and seven is where we start locking in these identities within us and a lot of that is socialised and there was big, great examples about if you dressed a, a baby in girl clothes at the age of six months to 18 months, people treated them in a different way than if you dressed them in boy clothes regardless of their actual sex or gender. And yeah, yeah I was talking to some people the other day because I work like the recruitment HR space. And one of the challenges is trying to attract more young girls, women into STEM subjects, into, into subjects where traditionally it's been dominated by men. I I think I was actually speaking to a, an organization and they said, well, it's not our problem so much. It's society's problem. I said, well, hang on a minute. If you're running a business, you've got to take some responsibility to invest in the future and go out into schools, go out into the, into the workplace, beyond your workplace, to make your subjects aspirational and to try and overcome those biases by having great female role models, have great role models from underprivileged or underrepresented communities, not just sit back and go, well, we can't do anything. It's society. Uh, and that, that's a challenge I see. And I, I'm almost of the mind where we have to start maybe into – antenatal classes we start trying to educate parents on how to de-bias and how to de-gender a lot of the stuff they, and the messages they give their children because schools are now doing a fantastic job I, I, I speak to a lot of parents and the schools are putting a lot of effort into making sure that boys and girls feel equally aspirational but of course you come home you then get socialized back into the boy girl and then the friends and all your peers kick in and and they just reinforce the stereotypes so all the great work the schools are doing is being deprogrammed by the parents and society around them and that's that's i think we've got to Pre, we've got to tackle pre-parents and change the generation, otherwise we're never going to make a difference. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when we do not discuss gender at all. Yes, amen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm look, yeah, I'm really am looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the day when somebody gets a job on their merit, on their capability and their experiences so far. Um, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm a mother of a son and a daughter. I don't want to either of them to have a problem because of their gender. So I worry about us saying we need more women in on the board or we need more women somewhere. Yes, we do, but surely we are doing the same as we did with the other with the opposite gender but just change the label you know yeah. we to, to it's it's a it's a labeling thing i would rather just say let's ignore the gender did you know i did a documentary with karen brady on channel 5 news no? um you? no okay we sorry i'm pra- tell me if you want me to be quiet Joe, no, but i get very excited <laughs> Oh, this is your 15 minutes of fame, or hour of fame. Go for it, yeah. Go for it. Okay. We, we did this, we did this um, program. I set up an experiment, and we, we got in some recruiters from an imbra, different employment agencies. Half were guys, half were girls. We split them into two groups, and we hid them away in the side rooms. We had CVs stuck up on the wall. Um, half the CVs had 
the name of the applicant and the photograph. Half of the CVs had no name and no photograph. So you would think that was not, you couldn't tell what gender they were because of that. Um, the first group of, 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 of the first group of recruiters came in and they saw with photo first and without and we swapped it round for the second group so we mixed it up a bit so there wasn't any kind of order problem um, the brief was they didn't know why they were there but the brief was they had to um, um, decide on one applicant for a first interview in an engineering firm as an IT expert traditionally so-called a male role engineering firm IT and that was it I think it was 95% of the result 95% of them chose men even with the CVs without a photograph or a name and when we told them that there was a bias going on they were mortified because they're recruiters they understand what bias means um, and they just said, oh, no, 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 well, well, so, well, why did you choose that person? Well, because they've got a better degree, it's, it's more suitable. No, they've all got suitable degrees, every one of them. And, but it turned out that it was the language in the CVs that, that gave them the idea of what gender it was. Yeah. So the female CVs were words like team building and um, things like that, the, the, the more cohesive um, type of words, whereas the guy words were all about ambition and those sorts. And that, that gave a clue as to what the recruiters were looking at. And it was quite enlightening. That, and they were really upset with themselves and argued big time, pushed back. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it was true, you know. Um, but people will have biases. You know, the only people that don't have biases are dead people. <laughs> so, you, you know, so it's not a bad thing. We just no. need to be aware of them and work with them sensibly. Yes. I mean, the whole um, meritocracy in recruitment and opportunity is a whole new topic, which I'm I'm planning on tackling another day, but um, I often find merit, pushing meritocracy forward is an excuse to keep the status quo because what we're saying is, based on the based on the merits we've decided, this is the best person. But we often don't include in that meritocracy scoring other skills that are maybe more appropriate to the workplace about collaboration, about teamwork, about empathy, about building relationships. So often we're building the meritocracy with male bias in mind. And that, that's, that's the challenge I have with meritocracy. And yes, we'd all love to be equal, but I think some people need equity, which means give them a leg up to give them equality, if you like, or equal chance. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, I think currently meritocracy is almost an excuse to keep the status quo. And sometimes I, I feel that a diversity higher, whether that's gender, ethnicity, it somehow, somehow seems second best. Um, I'm hiring for diversity, not for the best person, but I have to hire someone who's different. Uh, oh, they won't be as good. So you're almost pre-biasing this person to be not as good as the, the obvious candidate. And uh, anyway, that's a, that's a, a topic for a whole new uh, well, in the future. Unless you've got well, some. Sorry, Joe, but you've just really touched on something that's really interesting there. Um, if we are um, feeding the status quo, we're actually going to become dinosaurs. Mm. 
because things are changing so rapidly, we really have got to think in, in much more creatively and with, with much more innovation. So in actual fact, if we've got a job spec and we're looking for a certain type of person and we're trying not to be gender biased or any bias whatsoever, maybe we're looking at the wrong, maybe the job spec's not correct. Oh, completely, maybe, completely. Right? It's, it, it, the, whole, the whole recruitment industry is, is shaking itself up. It's based on a CV, which is a, an historical document. And that was only invented in the 80s when we started having fax machines and we could start writing CVs on computers. Before that, we used to fill in an application form. So we, we constructed the CV as the official document. Uh, people are looking at video interviews. But again, video interviews can have their own bias. You know, you see somebody, uh, the way they talk, the way they th- the sound, the way they, all these other factors kick in. Uh, but yeah, it's. I think the, the more forward-looking companies now are being more objective in their approach, where they would set defined criteria. You would maybe rate yourself. Someone else would rate you on the answer to a question. Uh, so by the time you get around to say the, the, the second round, there's always there's already that affinity bias. You already know that person has capability. So you're more likely to you're more likely to welcome everybody. Whereas that first sift on the CV is down to how good you are at creating a CV, whether you've paid someone or, or whatever. It, it, there's a whole lot of factors that CVs often are, are written by professionals to get people jobs, not actually to do the job. And, and often the, the interview process is, is is two people lying to each other um, about the demo mode of the game, if you like, rather than actual actual game footage. So yeah, it's. Uh, I think the forward-looking companies are starting to address the way they recruit, the way they re- attract, the whole candidate experience, um, and also understand that it's about their brand and about their uh, what they're offering people in terms of flexibility and the skills they need. Because they don't want the hierarchical businesses of the past. They want more neural networks, and that requires different skill sets, which you can't always pick up in a CV. Absolutely. There's a lot you can't pick up in a CV. Um, but, of course, as soon as you get somebody in front of a panel, um, the, the uh, perceptions of each panellist will be um, uh, unique to only them. Mm. So they'll be looking with their, with their biased views as well, you know, and each one of them be different. To be honest with you, when I go into companies, one of the things I talk about is if you have got an interview panel or a board or whatever, is that you come to a point of agreement that you are, if you display a bias, which you're bound to do, the others point it out to you. Yes. I just say, hang on a minute, little Jiminy Cricket here, we're all watching on your shoulder, you just did X, Y, Z. The problem with that is that somebody might feel they're being got at by their peers. So it has to be really a place of where everybody consents to the same thing. Mm. And, you know, you actually are looking after one another so you are not demonstrating or using bias because you're being pulled up on it. So it raises awareness of, of you know, what what is your default button. Yeah, and I think, again, look at some of the forward-looking companies. They're putting a lot more effort into training their recruiters. They're also trying to avoid groupthink or dominance within an interview board where each person has to rate and review against a set of objective criteria before they discuss. And only then do you, do you consolidate the results and try and average out those biases if you can. Um, and uh, some of those are done blindly and some of those are done, um, like I say, just using objective-based questions. So, you know, 
find the error in this code, write me five lines of code that will do this. Um, so really testing in job experience. And some are even saying, come in and work for us for a day, uh, do the job and see how it goes. And, and those are kind of a better, better ways of evaluating someone's fit, performance, uh, capability than a five-minute interview, which really I think people are saying now is that an interview and a CV and application really only gets you a month or two's head start. It's the actual the person that's going to thrive after the three or four months when they've, they've picked up the job, they've picked up the opportunity, uh, and uh, they're actually in role. I think what we tend to do is we tend to go for the person who's got the extrovert personality or the or the, the person more like us or the more like the person that just left or the other people in the team. And that's that's when we're writing the job set, we often think of the person we want to hire and then we match everybody against that person rather than the actual needs of the role. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, that's, there are, yeah, that is the way the world is moving. And it slowly in some areas, but... People organizations are really focused on that. Yeah, I think it's it's all about group membership. Mm. You know, we we identify with people like us, and it, we need our group membership, and we will fight for our group. As you see everywhere, absolutely everywhere, you just listen to the news anytime and you will find people fighting for their group that they feel a member of, and anybody outside of that group is a threat. Mm. And that's, you know, that's evolutionary psychology going on here. You know, everybody outside of that, and, and for very good reason, when we were in little villages and we were being invaded all the time and raided and stuff, and, you know, raped and pillaged and all of those things going on. So, um, but, um, so our group membership is very, very important to us. So it's, the, I think the way to get help to get over it is to, for people to appreciate the differences of other groups so there needs to be a, a move forward to uh, to appreciate so we're raising awareness and then we start to appreciate how those differences are valuable so and ce- then celebrate we- uniqueness celebrate differences um it makes the whole bigger by mm-hmm. enriching it with different experiences different thoughts different different ideas yeah no, i agree yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then what you've got is, but to be honest with you, you can raise awareness, but people will still ignore it if they feel threatened. So you won't actually change anybody's mind unless you can stimulate curiosity. Mm. Because with curiosity, we learn. You know, sure, we learn the times table by road, you know, just boring, boring, drum it in. But most of us learn by being curious and children especially like they're sponges they everything they're in, in awe and they're in wonder of everything that's going on and they're learning huge amounts of data every single day mm. and just by being sponges and curious about what the, how, what's going on in the world so if we can stimulate that in adults that raising awareness of what's going on finding the curiosity to then appreciate the differences there are and then being curious about what that person contribute or those people can contribute or that group can contribute to what you're doing. That's a good way forward, I think. Yeah. Are are we now living in society where people aren't being as curious as they once were, where maybe there's too much information, too much strong opinion. I mean, it's just look at some of the, the hot topics of the of the world in the UK. So we've got the um, the Brexit debate, we've got climate change, we've got some of these other debates that are going on where we have uh, anti-vaxxers and, va- and, and 
people who are adamant that vaccines cause autism, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got all these really strong opinions and people seem to set up camps on opposite sides of the opposite hills and just start throwing grenades and rocks and stones at each other and archers. So you end up with this carnage of where the centre ground is almost like dangerous, where you have to have an opinion and... I think we saw it with, with Brexit. Once you'd entrenched into a camp, it was very hard to, to get into the middle ground and have a conversation. Uh, and is that the media? Is that social media? Is that is that just the way society is evolving? So how do we how do we get curious again? How do we how do we reverse what we've done? I think um, if anybody is so ensconced in their in their group membership, um, they are not going to be curious unless their curiosity is stimulated. That could be stimulated by an outsider or it could be stimulated by what another group has done. And, um, and, and it depends how, how much identity somebody has with their group, how deep that identity is. If somebody has a more than one identity, then they are going to be more willing to want to find out about others. But if people, if somebody has got, you know, some religions, well, all religions, some people in them, they become... Um, they don't want to know about anything else. They are right and everybody else is wrong. Um, and that's so black and white, it just can't mm. possibly be true. It just can't be true. And, of course, if we can get that going, that curiosity going, then we communicate better. And if we communicate better, there'll be far less um, anguish and anxiety. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need to put this this this, this uh, podcast onto the onto onto the radio, play at everyone's home, and just and get people to go. Come on, let's open our minds up. But it, it's it's a really difficult thing to overcome when you're so entrenched. You, you so everything in your life is saying you're right. You're being bombarded with your in group stuff, as you said. And uh, sometimes, in order to break away from that, you've got to be the brave one to step out of your in group and go and yeah. and go and visit visit the enemy. You know, it's it's. I often talk about it as. Uh, you're either a Man United fan or a Man City fan. You know, you're either a, a bright red or a, or a light blue. You, you can't. There's no middle ground. You can't be half half a Jedi. You can't be half a Sith. You know, you're you have to make you have to narrow your colours sometimes, and and that's where people really struggle to to be open minded, isn't it? It is, and it's all again down to group identity. They can't belong to more than one group, and I've never understood why. Hmm. Um, it doesn't. I don't. I, I, I I can understand it in terms of psychology, but I don't understand because everyone else is a threat. But if somebody is, that group has proven themselves not to be a threat, then you know, lift yourself up and mm. just start to ask questions and yeah. find out what it's like to be at that other group. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that segues nicely into one of the things we were talking about the other week, which was around trans identities and the way that trans identity and people who are trans can polarise people into two camps. Uh, there are some who are vehemently trans stroke gender critical who try and base their understanding of the world based on a fixed binary gender, binary sex, um, birth chromosomes, birth genes, etc. And other people who are more able to see gender as a freely sense of sense of identity, sense of self, something we've evolved over our lifetime and, and there's no binary if you like gender as such. There's a whole spectrum uh, which is fluid and it can evolve and 
not everyone has to be this you know, the gender box of an expectation of a man or the gender box expectation of a, of a woman. And uh, there are some people who seem to want to police people back into their box. I know. I know we do. And it, do you know what was quite interesting? Um, last week I was, I was speaking at a conference and just before I had to go on stage, they, they broke out in groups. And um, I was, the one group stayed in the main room and other groups went to different areas in the building. So I stayed in the room because I knew I was, I was wired up and with the mic and everything. So I stayed there and um, I watched this group. Honestly, Joe, it was the weirdest thing. Um, there were about 20 of them. And in my imagination, I could see like particles all coming together and entwining and bouncing, bouncing and doing this and bouncing a bit more and doing stuff. And I just thought, this is, I, I'm very interested in quantum physics, but I don't understand it. But um, <laughs> it's pretty hard. Um, but, um, but it's like um, when you talked about when you have a period in our lives where we're more fluid, we can be, you know, whatever we wish to be in terms of gender or whatever. Um, it was like that. It was, I could see all these particles, if, again, in my imagination, just coming, mingling together, very much influencing one another, very mm. much um, leaving your template, your footprint, whatever. But equally, I then thought to myself, okay, in terms of neuroscience, what's going on here? And in neuroscience and psychology, we try to explain things in very... Um, um, not fixed ways, but certain ways of logic. Um, whereas quantum physics is random. You know, that you get these these particles going on, and all of a sudden they're behaving a certain way, and then they don't. They just they just randomly do something else, and that's what people do. Yeah. You know, we we have all these psychology theories and neuroscience stuff coming out, and uh, all of these things going on about human brain and the human behaviour. But then, they get, then all of a sudden they can do something really random. You go, where did that come from? Why, why would you do that? And it's like we are entwined in quantum theory in that just for some reason we do something random and it's a very fluid um, uh, process. That's how I saw it. Sorry, I went off on that no, tangent no, no, there. No, I'm, I'm, as you're talking, I'm, I'm going back to the intro we had where you said you embrace change and where you find that other people don't is and I completely get that because what I found since I, I embrace change myself, I've almost become a change embracer because I realized that I've had to go through an event in my life where I changed significantly and I impacted those around me. So it's kind of reasonable for me to want respect for who I am, for me to be able to embrace other people's change, whether that or difference of opinion. Because if I if I'm if I say, well, no, I'm okay, but I don't get you, that's almost like saying, well, hang on a minute. If if I if I if I want any modicum of respect, I have to be able to respect everybody has an opinion, everybody, everybody's identity, and you say in group, out group, whatever that identity is, whether it's football, uh, gender, politics, you're allowed to have an opinion. And it's just a way of embracing that opinion and sharing it in a, in a discussion, respectful way, rather than trying to force an opinion on somebody. You know, you're allowed to have it, but you don't have to necessarily share it. Sometimes you can, you can keep your mouth shut and, uh, and know when it's, uh, it's not mainstream. So. But I don't, I don't think people realise how they come across sometimes. 
Um, I, I have, I have um, a, this quirk in my behaviour in that I can actually stand outside of myself and watch me interact with others. Yes. Um, I don't know if you do that. Do you I do that? that. I, often, yeah? I often think I'm, I'm in space looking down. Yeah. Watch the gameplay, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do it when I'm on stage. You know, I I can I can be telling a story, and I am watching the, re- the the me telling the story and the response of the audience, and I'm not in the story. I'm more watching it uh, play out, yes. so that I can work the audience um, to communicate with them better. Yes. So, um, so, so I, I think. Um, I think we'll just stand outside of ourselves and watch the show. And realise that we are not doing terribly well, or we are doing very well, or what we can then change our behaviour. The problem is when it gets really important is when we're in a high state of arousal, when we are really, you know, the emotions are going, and they're in charge, and people get really heated, and um, and you see it on social media all the time. It's just ridiculous, um, and so you, people just. Um, are in that state of, uh, of emotions ruling, ruling the brain, ruling the way that you can't actually step outside of yourself and watch the show go on. Um, and it, it just fuels everything to the negative. Um, so, yeah, for me, standing outside of myself is really helpful. That's a really good uh, technique. And I, it's funny, I, 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 I often say the same thing to people and not often do I hear people go, like, oh, I know exactly what you mean. But to hear you say that, I think, yes, I found somebody else. It's, uh, and the analogy I often use is, is the, the film The Matrix at the point where, where Neo dies and he wakes up again. And when he wakes up, he, he sees the world as a social construct. He sees his place in the world, how he can influence it, how he gets influenced. And then at the end, he flies over the city, looking down at, at the world or the construct of the world. And I, I, I kind of found that since I embraced my change, that to be critical about what, I'm, what the information I'm feeding, critical about the biases I'm hearing, be able to question, say, well, why did I think that? Why do I think that? Why do you think that? And then almost like trying to come up with a little thought in my head that doesn't allow me to proceed until, I, until I've realized why I'm saying something. Or is that a fact? Is that an opinion? Is that kind? Is it cruel? Um, wh- who told me to believe that thing? Um, what's the media telling me I should believe? Why do you want me to click that button? And it's almost like it's having the, that extra bit of circuitry in your head that says, just quickly check it and put it back in again before it gets processed, before it gets locked in. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, a, a little, little um, when I hear information, when I see a situation or whatever, I check it by saying, who says? Yeah. Who says? Yeah, you know, if somebody right. tries to lay it on, who says? Yeah. And they go, hmm. Well, you know, because, they, you know, the stuff that people come out with is just a, it, it, it is their perceptions based upon their experiences so far. Mm. Um, and um, which is why it's so unique, because we perceive the living based on their experiences that have gone before. So they are completely unique. It's this massive pyramid going on. So I do, I double check, go, who says? And it just stops people mm. in their tracks um, because nobody... Yeah, if you're going to quote some kind of research going on, then clearly the authors of the research are who said. But that's not what people are talking about. They're talking about an opinion or an idea or a perception that is 
based on something that is, as I say, unique. So pulling them up short, who says hmm. perhaps some works? Yeah, based on what? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's almost like a hey, we're taught at school in math mathematics. It, it show your workings out. It's uh, you may have the answer wrong at the end, but if someone understands how you got to that answer, they can they can then piece together your thought process. Um, don't have to necessarily just disagree with you, but they can see what you're trying to think at the same time. Yeah, and even even though maths is you're right or you're wrong, you, you get marks for the way you worked it out. Mm, yeah, exactly. So you know, it's um, so yeah, absolutely agree with you. Really good so, analogy. People can see the same data, the same evidence, and draw a different conclusion based on their perspective, their biases, their groups, but. It, then you can have a discussion about where, where they diverge based on this data. So you thought that at that point, I thought this at this point. So why do you think that? Uh, am I, do I need to adjust my thinking or should I help you adjust your thinking? Or do we just say, mm, okay, that's a fundamental theology type disagreement. We can't, we can't, we can't rationalize that one, but we can understand why we people think that. I think also people take themselves too seriously. <sighs> Yeah, I do. I um, you know, I my, my my work is serious. I love my work, and I do good stuff with what I, with the results I get with clients and so on. But I, to take myself seriously, it's not, it doesn't serve anyone. No, uh, it doesn't serve doesn't serve my love. The triangle in in a DJ is yeah. yeah. I think we all need to have our off days and just chill out and and uh, and be yeah. and be ourselves, be relaxed sometimes, don't we? If we're not careful. We we just seen as this professional or yeah. someone without outside interests we've got to be all and, of them. yeah and you know full well that you're not going to be liked by everybody but that's okay yeah it's all right yeah i don't you know it, it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter um and you know, we worry about stuff that we can't do anything about and that's just daft we all do it don't get me wrong i'm as guilty as the next person but i talk so i'm talking to myself here there's a mirror going on <laughs> so i you know we 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 do we need to lighten up yeah be far more accepting and lighten up and not think that we are this we trouble is with our perceptions we are always the central player mm. whatever we see we are the central player so we take ourselves too seriously um, yeah, there's an expression I heard was um, strong opinions lightly held. I can't remember who said that. Nice. Uh, I think it's nice to have a, an opinion. It's nice to know who you are, what you stand for, but holding it lightly enough that you're willing to listen and adapt and improve your algorithm, if you like. Yeah, I think that's actually where the schools can come in, is to um, encourage more debating societies. Mm. Because we, we are losing the art of arguing sensibly our corner and then letting the audience decide which camp, which foot they got in, in which camp. I can remember I was once at, um, consciousness is my favourite topic of all time, right? It's mostly terrible, ter ever so hard. It's like the last frontier. And I was at, in Tucson at the consciousness um, uh, conference and um, I was sitting in the, um, in the audience and one, there were two neuroscientists on the stage. One was arguing for Freud, the other was arguing against. Now, neuroscientists and Freud do not work together, okay? It's a bit like oil and water. Um, but the way the guy talked about Freud and persuaded the audience that we still needed to consider Freudian theory in our neuroscience work, he won. Because of the way he 
argued it and it was calm it was logical he got really good evidence um and um he, he won I, th I think if you're very good at debating you can say persuade somebody the sky is green you know so um sorry there goes my phone in the background um so you can actually persuade somebody it, it's sort of you know green with purple spots so if you're really good at arguing it you will persuade people now that could be right or wrong don't get me wrong but then i'm talking right or wrong again and that's wrong if you see what i mean um because it's not it's not black and white it's there's this lovely ambiguity about life so um yeah so i think the schools could help us not to be yeah. to be better at understanding one another if they taught debating skills i suppose the modern society young children <coughs> teenagers they're kind of brought up in a world of wanting to be liked um wanting yeah. to get self-gratification or gratification it's a selfie it's a snapchat filter uh and there's a lot of mental health issues as we know about children who uh, are bullied by not by people actively blocking them or disliking them on social media and, and this is kind of the 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 modern generation's way of of social contact isn't it the in groups and out groups are, are hyper magnified through these these social media uh, outlets aren't they yeah absolutely absolutely right and i mean uh, the, the social media is just i mean the children and anybody just cannot get away from anybody who decides to be a bully mm. um and um and i n rarely use the word hate but i hate bullies mm. absolutely categorically hate bullies there is never ever ever any excuse ever to bully someone Never. And of course, the kids now are in their rooms, um, you know, um, up far too late on various social media networks or, or whatever they're doing. And um, they can't get away from the bullies. They can't get away from those who are, who are feeding them with self-doubt and low self-worth. Mm. Um, and um, it's seriously dangerous. And I think horrific, really horrific. Yeah. I, there's an oxymoron. Well, it sounds like an oxymoron. Is it, you should be intolerant of intolerance. That's yeah. kind of an oxymoron in its own way, but what it's basically trying to say is that anybody who steps out of what is considered polite, normal society, whatever normal is, or the social construct of the rules we've created, anyone who steps outside of that should not be tolerated with their intolerance, which is where we talk about religious um, fanaticalism, some of the, the terror attacks. We can't be tolerant of that, even though that person, you have to almost allow them to express their religious freedom or their, their views but we can't be tolerant of that person in this society and at that point there is it's like it's a bully it's it's it, they're they're setting out to harm the many and they're not the one that's at, at being harmed if you like i actually have a problem with the word tolerate so do i hate it hate it yeah i do i i it tolerate sounds arrogant it sounds like i'm um, okay i will put up with the fact that you're not as good as me um, and I just really have a strong problem with that. Um, I don't, I think, you know, we talk about tolerating in society. No, we show compassion and understanding. Mm. We do not tolerate and we appreciate, we appreciate differences. Um, so I think there's, it's not just a case of semantics because the words we use have a subliminal effect mm. on our minds. So um, if, you're going to, if you're going to feed people with this, with the way I've got to be more of a tolerant society, I'm sorry, that makes you an arrogant society. Um, and I don't like judging it. Judging people against our rule set is tolerant. So we say, my rule set is this, you don't quite meet my rule set, therefore I'm going to allow 
you in a bit. Yeah. But still on the outside, you're still in the out group. I, I, I tolerate you as an out grouper. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very condescending. Yeah, no, um, I hate the word. It's, I, I, yeah. it's brought through but, you know, laws. It's, we've got to come from a place of being curious to understand one another and to appreciate their, our differences and appreciate that we've all got a place in this world to contribute to society. Um, that's how I see it. I, yeah, you're talking to the converted, so, yeah, no, completely, and that's exactly how I, I see the world. Uh, whilst I've got you on the line, one, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was around about... Uh, so I often get misgendered by people. And what I've figured out in my limited research is that it's only certain people that do it. So that I, I break people into kind of three categories. There's people who've known me most of my life. So they've known both sides of me. And therefore, there's going to be a lot of legacy, a lot of history behind how they know me, what we've done together, the lived experience, the shared environment we have. So I have an understanding that they're going to get it wrong from time to time because it is difficult, and I'm not saying it isn't difficult. There's another group of people who have only known me as me today, and that group is huge. And within that group of people who have only known me as Joanne, Joanne the woman, Joanne the, the female, Joanne the speaker, the business owner, there are people in that group who still misgender me from time to time. And it's random, it's occasional. Often when they're referring to me, so they'll, they'll say, they'll look to somebody else and say, he's fantastic. Oh, sorry, I meant she's fantastic. But there are people who never get it wrong. And then there's a third grouping, the main grouping, is people I see in a service providing um, position. So they're, they're either a steward, a, a hotel check-in, uh, serving me on uh, at a restaurant, they're, they're cabin service crew checking people where those are the kind of people that sometimes from time to time through either subliminal messages in their brain are saying oh hello sir or just misgendering that casual way so it's, it's trying to understand so I've, I've come down to thinking it's not always just about the person being I say ignorant, I hate the word ignorant, or is it laziness, is it their brain just has some pathways in it they can't override? I mean, what's your thought on that? I don't think it's laziness. I think it's just preconditioning according to their own perceptions, their own upbringing, their own environment, and they slip into default. Um, um, if, if it was laziness, I think they would know they're doing it and can't be bothered, but I don't think they do. I think it's something that just comes out it's like that unconscious processing. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, you know, the default comes out of their mouths um, without, without thinking it through. I mean, especially with the third group, who might not even be aware they've done it. Yeah. They're all of a sudden calling you, here you go, thank you, here you, thank you for your passport, sir, have a good flight. Whatever, they might not even realise they've said it. They've just gone on and they're on automatic. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's at all deliberate unless the occasional person is being horrid. But um, I, don't, I don't think it's at all deliberate. I think it's just the unconscious brain going into default and they, um, they've just not been exposed to e enough people who, have been tra who are transgender. Hmm. I think it depends on, you know, what they've been exposed to to that date. And I, I, I fully appreciate it. It's, it's a very complex thing because that millisecond perception of who you are, that, that you know, how we, we, we do all that processing very quickly and it's made up of so many different dynamics. It's um, 
frame and stature, the way you move, uh, just from the way you stand or just uh, the, um, the voice, let alone the face, the facial dimensions, the ratios, uh, the hair, uh, the size of hands, size of feet. There's a whole load of dynamics going on where someone just makes a snap decision. And it's what you do with that data that varies, I think, between people. Some people, some people kind of look at me and go, no, they don't interpret it at all. They just, they just say, sir. Some people say, I see a woman, you are a woman. And some people, it's a bit more complicated where they're sort of, they don't want to do this evaluation and go, ah, clearly Joe is trans. Joe was born this way. And then their brain almost like flips over it. So they think too much almost. Yeah, I think that's right. And I do think, I mean, I do believe that society is getting better. Hmm. Our society is getting better because we're being we're talking about it more. We're understanding more. I think it's very hard for people who are not exposed to anything like that at all. They're going to come across as more stuck. Hmm. Um, but the more we we talk about it, the more we become open. The more we realise there are many many categories of human beings. If we want to talk about categories at all, um, then I think that, that it will become less of an issue. But I think maybe we're at a place of transition in our society at the moment. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think we all we all we all transition in life. I'm not saying I say every day, but we, we evolve. We go from being an infant to a child to a young adult to a teenager to a, a, all these various things. We have responsibilities as a as a parent, as a, as an employer, employee, a boss, a, a yeah, so we all have these different hats, different identities, and it's a generation thing as well. As well, yeah, completely. And we all think we're different, yeah. but we're all the same. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think there's a generation thing. I think you know, if if you've got an older generation who has not. It, that society has not openly talked about transgender, transsexual, trans, uh, lesbian, gay, whatever. They, so therefore, they're not going to be sure how to handle it. Whereas the next generation down, it's more open. It's talked about a lot more. It's become the norm. And the youngest generation probably won't even think about it. You know, it's just like, yes, so what's your point? Um, which will be great. So do you think there's anything... Say, I as a trans person could do to help people who may be struggling with this. What 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 technique could I learn to, to make it easier for people? Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I do. Um, I know some people who are younger people, and they have um, gone through. Um, they've changed gender, um, and they lack understanding for those who don't understand. Mm. They uh, they expect everybody to um, make allowances in inverted commas and use the correct words. We don't say he, she, we say it. We use that stuff, which, you know, you can't, it's very hard to say a sentence like that. It doesn't sound grammatically correct. That's hard in itself. I think there are a lot of people out there who want to understand and, and love people as equally, regardless of what they've chosen to do. But... Those people, um, there are some people who are who are intolerant, and they're expecting expecting more of the society than society are able to give at this moment. So, um, and this is this is a massive generalization, massive. So, I think pe- perhaps people who 
want to not be in the stereotypical norm to be a little bit um, understanding and help educate those people in what it's like or why or whatever um, just so that they can you you can um, increase the level of understanding so almost what I'm hearing is so you would say People who have limited exposure to different identities, whether that's gender, race, whatever, they need help to learn. And to shut someone down doesn't help learning. All it does is create conflict. So it's finding a way to turn um, a potential accident or a potential oversight or just some unconscious slip up into, into a, a positive outcome through, I'm sorry, that, that, that hurt, that doesn't work for me. Can we have a conversation about it? Yeah. I mean, you, you've got to be very careful you don't put people, um, they, they make people feel bad about themselves. Mm. Because everybody's trying to do the best they can. Most people are trying to do the best they can. So to make them feel bad about themselves will just set up with more of a them and us. Yeah, I, I, so, I, get, I get that. And I think the struggle a lot of people have who are less typical, whatever that identity may be, is that it can become very, very exhausting where you're having to do that time and time and time again. So for, for me to meet the chemist one day, that may be the fifth thing this week. It may be the third thing that morning. It, it, it I may be feeling great about myself and I'm thinking about the day and then the airline steward makes a remark and then that's completely. So for me to then be in in the right frame of mind to say, actually, can we treat this as a learning exercise? Uh, Having had this experience many, many times, you know, the drips of water, the microaggressions. So at some point, someone is the straw that breaks the camel's back. That one person and that, that yeah. struggle where you, you are having to kind of explain yourself all the time. Yeah, or, absolutely agree. But, but, I, yeah. but I think there's an element of, of choosing your battles. Yeah. Um, so, and I, the, the word battle is completely wrong, but um, it's like you've got to choose the times that it suits you and the have you perceived the person to be receptive um, to take your message on board and just choose when it when it when it you think it's going to work at its best and you're you're in the right frame of mind to do it um, and then um, and hopefully enable that person to be an ambassador to be able to talk about this to others hmm. in a positive light so you you're setting up little ambassadors to toddle off and spread the word in a positive hmm. way yeah um, I don't yeah? yeah I think I think the biggest struggle though is the uh, it, it's a one-off to you. It's a, it's a fifty-off to me, and yeah. eventually the the, the microaggression, the, the the drip, drip, drip effect of it, 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 it can become exhausting. And I think, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, in the same but way, but maybe maybe that's why you're you're really at an advantage there, Joe, in that you're a professional speaker. Yes, and that's what I do. So, yeah, you know, speaker, you can yeah. say your thing to hundreds of people at any one time, yeah. um, which is a, a, a fantastic. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that's yeah. – I think a society evolves, and, and it's – I use 
Brexit as, a, as an example, if, if I could understand the other view, uh, it doesn't matter what my view is, if I could understand the other view, I could have more empathy. So it, in a way, it's incumbent on us all to be educated about ourselves. Because yeah, we're all unique. You, you're you, I'm me. And there'll be something that I don't understand about you. So you kind of got to explain it. And that, that thing that's different about you may not be as obvious as the thing that's different about me. So you may have to explain it more less often. But there's still yeah. times where you, you maybe have to justify some research, your thoughts. You, you know, some of the conversation we've had today has challenged thinking that people have had around neuroscience and the brain for years and a lot of people go no 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 i, I base my whole talk on left brain right brain and and myers-briggs and all this sort of stuff and and you're saying well no actually that's it's not that simple and so you're challenging other people's beliefs uh, and it, yeah it, it sometimes you it, you probably find the same you have to pick your back and say, actually there's no point in arguing with you it doesn't it's not going you know, you, you can you can do make a, a, a an impression of somebody and you can just think, do you know what, it's just not worth me talking to them. Yeah. I'm wasting my breath. And then you know, you'll sense you'll instinctively know that um somebody's actually receptive to learning hmm. um and that's the person to talk to. Um maybe this other person will be more receptive in a month's time. Who knows? Um yeah. but at that moment, you know full well you're just wasting your breath. Yeah. Um so I do think we need to choose who we talk to about what pick our engagements rather than battles or, or pick pick our conversations. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, that's been fant- fantastic. And I, I thank you for your time this morning. Is there anything you'd like to just uh, wrap up? Like, so how do people contact you? Uh, how can they yeah. find out more about your work? Okay, I'm, as I say, I'm a specialist in, in the art of change or embracing change, which, in, which covers many behaviours, including habits and all sorts of things that I guide people through. Um, so I'm, you can find me at linda at drlindashaw.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A-D-R-L-Y-N-D-A-S-H-A-W. It's really hard to say that, isn't it? And why can't I just have a simple name? Linda at drlindashaw.com or www.drlindashaw.com. That's me. Brilliant. Uh, I'll put all those details in the in the podcast notes and the uh, accompanying this. Thank and you. If uh, if you've enjoyed this conversation, if you'd like to hear more, then please do subscribe. Uh, the links again will be in the comments, and I'd love to hear more. And of course, if you'd like to contribute to a future edition, then please contact me, and I'd love to have you as a guest. So for now, Dr. Linda Shaw, thank you so much for your time. You've been an inspiration. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe.